Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log. We're a member-supported blog and podcast that covers what's fresh and what's new in open source. You can check out the blog at thechangelog.com, our past shows at 5by5.tv slash changelog. And something new, you can subscribe to The Change Log Weekly, our weekly email covering everything that hits our radar in open source. You can subscribe at thechangelog.com slash weekly. This show is hosted by myself and our co-host today, uh, our managing editor, as a matter of fact, is Jared Santo. Jared, say hello. Hey, how you doing? Good to have you on the show, my Good friend. Good to be here. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I think the last time you were on the show was the, the very first live show roundup when we kind of came back from our hiatus. Yeah, that's right. That was a fun show. That was a fun show. We have to do more of those. So if you're a fan of that show, give us a shout on Twitter. We, we like that. But uh, this is episode number 102102. And we're joined by Michael Papis. He's the maintainer of RVM, and he's also the release manager for RVM at Engineard. So, Michael, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, everybody from Poland. You are from, yeah, you're from Poland, aren't you? What's, how do you pronounce your city name? Oh, no, it's uh, Gorzów, but it's really a small city, so uh, <laughs> it's more close to Berlin if, if anybody looks on the map. Gotcha. Yeah, I did look on the map. I was like, where's he at? So it's because, uh, you know, us uh, us Westerners, right, here in the U.S., we, we tend to be oblivious to this thing called a map. And uh, <laughs> and we sometimes forget our geography and you have to look it up. I mean, even if uh, even Poland, like I've got, uh, you know, my last name, right? My last name is Dekoviak. And so yeah. my uh, my grandfather and a lot of my, uh, you know, my lineage comes from that area. So you'd think I'd be a bit more familiar. And if you asked me if I speak Russian or Poland, I'd say no. <laughs> Um, uh, it's it's quite easy. Yeah. Uh, before we kick off the show, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, App Sketchbook. Um, if you do, uh, if you do any sort of app design, which I imagine a lot of our audience does, I don't know about you, but whenever I have an idea, I have to get it on paper before it comes to life, and that's exactly what App Sketchbook lets you do. They make sketchbooks for designers and developers, so. You can uh, get your interface ideas onto paper before actually designing your next idea. They're available in UX, responsive iPhone, and iPad blueprints. They're on every page. So if you're designing an iPhone app, obviously you want to kind of sketch against that or even collaborate with one of your designers to kind of get some of your ideas out. Um, you can go to appsketchbook.com. The coupon code to use is Dan sent me. That's Dan sent me to get $5 off your next order. This will be in the show notes, so head to 5by5.tv slash changelog slash 102, which is this episode number two. Learn more and click through to appsketchbook.com. But let's uh, let's learn a bit more about Michael. So, Michael, you are the you took over, uh, I guess, the the helm of RVN, RVN not long ago, about uh, almost two years ago, I bet now. Yeah, yeah so it's... Uh almost two and a half years since I started contributing to RVM and uh, I, I guess the f- my first bigger time with RVM was uh, during summer when uh, Wayne went for vacation with kids and needed some time off and I proposed to to do the uh, maintenance and keep keeping uh, users uh, up to date with everything what's going on so, uh, so yeah, it's two two years now. What was your experience, I guess, before uh, before that uh, that time period? Like, what what got you into even hacking or even making some suggestions to uh, to Wayne on uh, the 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 creator of maintainer original maintainer of RVM? Uh, yes, yeah, so I I've started. Uh, I needed RVM for my work. I was installing servers, and it was really a pain and. Uh, I, I tried RVM and it was quite easy, uh, but I found uh, some patches were were missing for Ruby Enterprise Edition or Ruby 187. I don't remember exactly, but it was the the old one. So I've added the patches and that that was my first contribution. And from that, I really fast started to contribute to RVM. And few months, it, it was like March. And uh, during the summer, July, I already was contributing almost full time. Nice. How, how mature was it at that point? Was it at 1.0 back then already? Or? It, uh, I've started at 1.2. Okay. And uh, when the, the summer, it was like 1.5, 1.6. six. yes. It was 1.6 during the summer. So I, I become real-time contributor. Uh, during the one six. 
You mentioned you were doing it for your work where, and I think before the call actually kicked off, before we actually started recording, uh, you kind of mentioned that it was, you're starting to work with RVM and maintaining it. I'm not sure if that coincided exactly the same time you started engineering. Is that who you were working with and why you needed to kind of hit the lower levels and uh, kind of hit these, these break points at patch levels. And as you mentioned, Ruby enterprise edition. So, uh, I was, uh, I was needing, needing RVM for my work and I really liked uh, the code and what it does. So it was something what I, I always wanted to do, do some, some open source contribute, make people happy. And during my work time and uh, my free time, I've started to contribute a lot. And I basically spent almost all my free time contributing to RVM. And at one point, I, I got really tired of my day job. So uh, I found a chance with Wayne to do some small... Wayne, the original uh, author of RVM. Uh, I found uh, some some more time uh, to do projects with Wayne, and I quit my job to take care of RVM and to do the smaller projects, which allowed me uh, to work even more on RVM. Wow, so... Was uh, when you said you quit your job, were you being compensated by RVM? Because I know that uh, RVM's had a pledge on their homepage for a while, and I think they've maybe raised twenty thousand dollars ish, which probably doesn't pay the bills. But um, were you unemployed, getting paid? What was the scenario there? Yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, at this time, it was uh, uh, a lot of uh, contributions thanks to uh, Ryan Bates who. Who started action? Uh, let's let's show when some appreciation for RVM uh, because of the uh, f- uh, bad comments from RBN, and uh, then thanks to from the, to the contributions, Wayne had uh, quite quite uh, quite good funding for short time, which allowed him to found me uh, to do the job for mi- minimal money, but it was really. Uh, something refreshing for me to just quit all the standard tasks and uh, do the good job to community. So that that's interesting. I didn't yeah. know. So besides Ryan, who else was uh, was Ryan the main benefactor of some of that uh, injection, or was it others? No. So uh, actually, it's it wasn't just Ryan. He he only started the action. He he just asked on Twitter ah, people gotcha. to contribute. And uh, mo- it, I think it was like two thirds of the twenty thousand was contributed in really short time, like two months or three months. Uh, Jared, I know you're a bit closer to the maybe the drama, I guess, between RBM and RVM, and I guess even Cheruby, if if that uh, comes into play in this conversation, you want to speak to some of those, some of that uh, time frame. Sure. I mean, I, w- I wasn't too close to it. You know, I read some of the blog posts, but I wasn't, I'm sure Michael was intimately involved in, in that situation. And, and uh, mostly I, I was aware of it because um, as an RVM user, and by the way, thank you for all the work you've done, long time RVM user, and uh, saved me a lot of time in my work. But I felt the pain of the uh, of the R- of RVM basically overriding the CD function in your shell uh, personally because I also override the CD function in my shell, but my solution was to simply just modify my uh, my own monkey patch to just work with RVM's uh, monkey patches and just keep on working. But I think that that type of thing was uh, what originally spawned RBN, you know, uh, the writing of RBN and then these other tools and I'm not sure of all the drama that happened, but there was many blog posts. I'm sure there were many tweets, and you know, uh, maybe Michael can speak to it a little bit more. But I think it got personal at a certain point, uh, unfortunately. And great, glad to hear that. Out of all that came actually this funding and these people supporting the project, which it allowed you to move in and, and do the work you've been able to do. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was. Uh, yeah, it, it it was touching us personal, me and Wayne and. Uh, uh for a short time it we felt really really bad but yeah it, it passes with time and you, you can you can see good points uh, it, it it ended up uh really good for users so 
we get we got new functions new new options to to run our vm and we have uh, like new files to uh, so you you know you you don't don't need to use rvmrc you you can use uh, ruby version which is now a common file for mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for major uh, tools that do, do the switching now yeah i think uh it's become commonplace to see a Ruby version file more so than you see uh, an RVMRC file or even I, I don't know I never use RBM but they have a they have a special file that they kind of watch for to to switch the Ruby. So they finally switched uh, in some time to, uh, to to Ruby version, but for a long time they use RBM version. Gotcha. And in fact, now I mean you can put the Ruby version right in your gem file now, correct? With newer versions of Bundler and. Um, RVM will recognize that as well to switch to to that Ruby. Yes, yes. First, first we had implemented before before Bundler implemented the Ruby uh, directive. We got uh, a comment support, so you could write it in comment. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on, Bundler introduced the Ruby directive, and uh, we still support the comment because in in the Ruby directive you can. Uh, write uh, any Ruby code, so you can do some magic to load R- Ruby version file in this place, and uh, to avoid any problems with reading Ruby from shellcode, because uh, all the tools are shellcode. Uh, we just uh, allow the comment, which which is just a string, which is uh, Ruby version. So mm. if if you have something else than a string in the Ruby directive, you can use comment. To overwrite it for RVM. So now you guys are pretty much supporting four different ways, just over time, huh? So that you can get that done. The, do you still support the RVMRC? I'm, I'm sure you do, at least in, in version one. Yes. So, so in version one, it's still the number one uh, format that is read. So, if you have Ruby version and RVMRC, mm-hmm. then R- RVMRC will be read and. And there is uh, no problem with some magic versions interpreted by other tools, which would be not recognized in RVM because you can add extra logic in RVMRC. Hmm. So, what's the preferred way going forward? Is it to use the gem file or to use the Ruby version file? So, uh, if you just want to use to, to use Ruby and nothing else, then Ruby version is great, mm-hmm. but uh, during the initial discussion for Ruby version, which was uh, introduced by Fletcher Nichol, uh, uh, I, I propose another format which allows you list of settings, something uh, key equals value, where you can set Ruby equals 193, and you can set Java equals uh, one. Seven. I don't know Java version so good. So you can specify more than just Ruby version. You can describe your whole project because you you never depend on just Ruby. You always use something else and mm-hmm. and more. You use database. So you might want to specify which database to use, which uh, Python version, which JavaScript version. And for that, I would see uh, like the feature future. Uh, of uh, switching environment, just one file, versions.conf, mm-hmm. in which you can set everything, not just Ruby version, because Ruby version was really convenient just for Ruby when we had uh, tools to switch Ruby version. But for, for, for the future, what, what we uh, will end up, it's one file configuring everything in your project. I like that. So it's kind of like a middle ground between arbit- you know executing arbitrary shell commands and simply specifying a Ruby version, it allows you to specify versions for all the different dependencies you have. Yes, yes, yes. That that's that's the that's the plan. And that that file is already supported but uh, because it, in RVM one we switch only Ruby versions, uh, it only allows you to switch Ruby versions. You can write anything inside mm-hmm. but uh, you would need other tools to read it. And in RVM2, we plan to introduce support for switching uh, almost everything. So we want to introduce introduce support from other tools like VirtualEnv. Uh, I think it's VirtualEnv for Python. Uh, NVM for Node.js. 
So everything else that's already working on the market, we want, want in the end it merge in, in one tool that will be able to switch. So you don't, you don't need 10 tools to switch your environment. Just one tool and it's ready. Yeah, it seems like from app to app or project to project, it's going to really get uh, diverse. So probably managing this gets tougher uh, over time. And that's where pull requests and issues on GitHub really come into play to help you keep a, keep a heartbeat on what uh, what's new out there or what's different for someone else and be able to report that back and and whatnot. Can, uh, yes. like, can you talk a bit about um, what it's like to take over a project like this? I know that... Uh, You'd mentioned it's been almost two and a half years now since you started, and we kind of talked a little bit about the the intros of this, where uh, it kind of spawned from some of the drama, but also turned into some uh, financial injection through donations to to RVM and Wayne being able to being able to bring you on board full time and you being in a place in your life to be able to take it on. But what's it like taking over a project like RVM? So from the standpoint that it's really important to the developers that use it, like it becomes the center point at which they pivot. What is it like taking over a project like that? So you don't really get to think about it. When you start to do something and you get passionate about it, uh, you just uh, do the work. And uh, because it's used by almost everybody, you get uh, so many tickets all the time that you don't have time to think. So you just <laughs> do, do the tickets, do the tickets, do the tickets. And right now, sometimes I get uh, moments because everything is, fi- is fixed. I get the moments like three days of silence, so I don't have any tickets. But then I get 10 tickets again and uh, working on it. So I planned uh, uh, RVM2 for over a year now. Uh, but every time I, I'm, I'm thinking it's ready, I can start working on it. Everything is finished for RVM1. And then I get uh, 10 new tickets and spend uh, three next days working on the tickets and helping people to solve the problems and fixing the small things. And uh, every time it's something smaller and smaller, but people find these things it, it, with the quality when it uh, increases overall then in the end, people uh, start complaining about smaller, smaller things to, to make it fi- fine-tuned for everything they need. Now, I see so, on your yeah. RVM 2.0 plan, uh, you got a couple other contributors mentioned. Are they, are they involved at all in helping kind of manage the influx of tickets or kind of doing some pre-validations? I know like at Pure Charity, I'm the product manager at Pure Charity, and we... You know, one of the things that we always try to protect our developers against is, you know, their focus on future product and, and improvements. And it seems like, you know, being able to validate those early and then maybe even earmark them as critical would help you save some time on the front end. Are they involved in that or is there any way the community can kind of step up to help you do something like that? So so I get a few contributors from time to time that uh, help and... Uh, that really helped, but uh, because RVM is qu- quite big, it's yeah. over twenty lines, twenty thousand lines of shellcode, and the biggest problem is a shellcode. It's really, it's really hard, and uh, there w- there is no good standards for coding in shell. So I had to develop good standards over the the, the years I worked on RVM, and uh, even I get contributions. It, I spend still quite a lot of time doing reviews, so nothing breaks for the users because if if you don't check it, even if there are tests, because we, we got tests like last year, and even there, there are tests, the tests don't catch everything because there is uh, over, t- I don't know, 20 platforms supported right now. Mm-hmm. So you can use RVM almost on every Unix-like system. Uh, but... Uh, to to get every contribution, every code to work, I have to still look on it to just from the experience point, and uh, to to catch the catch the small things that are uh, that need need to be that can't be tested right now. So you mentioned that it has twenty thousand lines of of shell code. Is that what you said? Yes. 
So I <laughs> yes, asked that a lot. Uh, that's huge. I saw in your, in your plan for 2.0, one of the biggest changes is that you'd be switching to writing it not in Shell but in Ruby. Can you speak to that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so the biggest problem with sh- shell scripting is uh, nobody knows it. Nobody knows how to write good shell code. And we write a tool for Rubyist. So if a Ruby developer wants to check something in the shell code, he can understand mostly most of it, but to write a good code that will be uh, that will not slow down because that's qu- quite hard thing to not slow down the shell code, mm-hmm. and that that will not produce side effects in random environments because uh, supporting both Bash and ZSH and in few flavors in few versions that's quite complicated and. Yes, yeah, so so we want to switch to Ruby because everybody knows Ruby and there are already good practices. So uh, you you will not have to uh, check every commit for code quality if it's uh, even good formatted. It's already uh, something people know how to do it, and we we only will have to do minim- minimal review for uh, security for bugs, but n- nothing like now to 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 search all the special cases where experience really counts. So RVM installs Ruby for you, and you're switching Ruby to a dependency. Surely you have a a solution for getting RVM onto the machine, or excuse me, getting Ruby onto the machine that you're going to use RVM to install Ruby on? Yes. So it was proposed to me for, for... few times uh, to switch to Ruby because everybody knows Ruby uh-huh. and uh, it was before uh, we got binary rubies, binary rubies in RVM so uh, right now we got binary rubies which uh, basically is a Ruby that's already compiled, you can just take it on your system, unpack it and it's working, if it's uh, provided for your system mm. and uh, if there is no binary Ruby for your system Second option will be uh, JRuby, which is really, really stable now. And uh, you get Java for almost every platform in the world. So if there is no binary Ruby, you can still get it working with JRuby. Uh, in in worst case, uh, a, a small thing that will be planned also for RVM2, maybe 2.5, is remote execution where you can... Uh, uh, run RVM locally on your system and uh, install Ruby on a remote machine. So you don't have to work, uh, mm-hmm. you don't have to install RVM on every computer you will use Ruby. You, you only r- install it locally and c- can use the local version to install Rubies on uh, remote servers. Hmm. So I- in the end, it will be possible to just install Ruby without installing RVM. So, or even prepare packages, so that's another option. So the plan is to is that you'll have a little bit of shell scripting or non-Ruby code that will di- download the binary Ruby, and we'll use that to bootstrap and install other Rubies. Does it then discard yeah, so, discard that initial binary, or does, is it resident on the machine, or have you not so, even figured that kind of stuff out yet? Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, for for the initial setup, uh, there will be shell script that's always needed because uh, you can either write shell code or, or Python code. Be- it depends on on what it's available on this remote system. But shell is something the limited limited shell sh shell is available everywhere, uh, like Basebox. You you can right. uh, get it working on uh, every device that supports Linux. So, uh, minimal shell code will be available everywhere, and you can use it to just to bootstrap. If there is binary Ruby, use it. Download. If it's not available, show instructions for JRuby, or uh, or how to do the remote installation. Cool. So, besides switching to Ruby, uh, what are, what are the other big plans for 2.0? For 2.0, the biggest plan is to uh, stop stop being just Ruby version manager. Start uh, managing everything. It's uh, uh, it's another project from Wayne Seguin, uh, SM framework, which also was in shell and did uh, manage installation of software 
and managing software, but not switching. So all the installation part and it's RVM2 will be like uh, putting the uh, ideas of SM framework to, to manage everything and the environment switching from RVM. But in the end, uh, I'm still thinking about the switching part because I also had with CHRuby and something small like CHRuby would be also possible and maybe even we could integrate with CHRuby where RVM will be more for installation and uh, for managing uh, the internals of Ruby like gem sets and so on but uh, to, to switch the environment in your, in your local shell, you could use CHRuby. You talked a little bit about this in your talk at, uh, at RuPy. You mentioned uh, Python version manager as part of it. I didn't get a chance to to watch the entire talk, but um, so it sounds like not just Ruby versioning, but Python and, and others. Yes, yes. So ba basic, uh, the initial process for uh, for for the version to zero will be to get uh, Ruby and uh, JavaScript binaries available, so you can uh, get your race applications really fast. Because right now, when you get Ruby and want to start a race project, you still need a JavaScript executable, and th that will be the f the first step. That that's the basic requirement for race projects. So. That will be the first thing that we'll be working just to make sure uh, we get compatibility uh, with phrase projects. Uh, second step will be integration with Ruby gems uh, because right now uh, when you install gems, you, you don't know which dependencies of the gems are needed. It's n n nothing automated. And uh, in Ruby gems, I think it was in 2.0, uh, there is metadata. metadata which you can use to describe your dependencies of your gem. And then uh, with simple RubyGems plugin, you can uh, connect uh, RVM and RubyGems, where when you install a gem that has a dependency like Nokogiri has libxml, you, you can say require libxml libxslt, and RVM will know how to install them for your system. So. Uh, it will be automatic and uh, the experience should be a lot better for final users. So I'm just kind of thinking about uh, this change and what this means. And then I'm always a person that kind of kicks back the name. So does RVM become something that becomes shaky ground, meaning does the name change or does it change or morph to a different acronym like real version manager versus uh, and I guess when Wayne was on the show. So for those who've listened to the change log for a while, you can go back to uh, I think it's episode, yeah, episode 66, um, we had Wayne on and he talked about it. And it, it wasn't actually called Ruby version manager, it's environment manager, right? Ruby environment manager. Yes, so so uh, we got uh, a page for RVM uh, alternative implementations. And uh, it, it says Ruby is not the only Ruby version manager and Ruby is not the only one. Ruby Environment Manager because uh, RVM does both right, right. now. Uh, and in uh, RVM 2, uh, the, the code name for it is SM Framework SMF uh, because it, it, uh, it will be more based on SM Framework, the current implementation, which I think when mentioned it back then as BDSM. Yeah. And since then we changed the name. Uh, first to SM and then SM framework. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was wondering because I know that Wayne uh, kind of that was an unexpected, I guess, topic um, for episode sixty-six when we talked about BDSM. I know Steve was really happy to talk about it as well on that show. So if you go back and listen to that, it's definitely be a, a good primer for you to come back into this conversation here. But uh, it was pretty neat and quite low level and uh, way over my head. <laughs> But yes, it's still so, fun to listen to. Yes, yeah, so uh, RVM2 will be like a mix of, mix of SM framework, uh, of BDSM and RVM. So does it, uh, I guess coming back to that then, does, does the name RVM become 
stale at that point or does i mean i know you said codename is the plan potentially to change that have you talked to anybody about that does the community kind of put their two cents in about the the, the name change or even a potential of yeah, so uh, i will not change the name the name stays rvm2 because uh, rvm has its uh, brand and people know it and it, it's re- really easy to identify the product with with, uh, with the name so if anybody hears a new name, it will be something totally new, and the change might be harder. And when when you when you know it's the same product and it's compatible, because that's as one of the aims to to get uh, the code that's already out there, and RVM one is supporting it. It should be also working with RVM two. So uh, we we do testing uh, uh, outside testing where. No, no internals of RVM are tested, only the API, what, what's uh, CLI, what's available to the user, it's tested. And uh, we, we plan to pass the tests uh, for RVM too. So, no, we, we don't change the name. It will stay. We uh, have some internal, sometimes internal we refer it like SM framework, but uh, in the end it will be RVM too. Gotcha. I was during uh, the conversation between you and Jared a bit there. I was also taking note that right now you're in the clear too in terms of issues. I was quite surprised to see that you have zero open issues right now uh, on GitHub. I'm not sure if you track issues anywhere else, but that's a that's a pretty uh, cool feat be, to be at zero you, issues. You might be watching on the uh, wrong repository. I'm still I'm still using Green slash RVM repository. Yeah. And there are uh, 12 open issues, at least there were 12 before we started. And uh, I used a flag feedback needed, which means uh, I did everything I could, need more information from the user. And 10, 10, 10, uh, 10 issues are feedback needed, so there are two issues I know I have to work on. And the rest, uh, 10 issues... Uh, possibly uh, could be something uh, RVM has to do, but in, in most cases that ha- happens to be that it's only just clarifying how things work and uh, asking for more information. And in the end, it's often a really small change. That's weird. Every time I go to uh, issues, it for some reason kicks me to milestone 17, which has no issues. So weird because oh, oh. like I, I'm sitting there in issues and like there's no issues, but I go back to the nav and I see issues in the sidebar. So that's a that's an aside. You need to click really matter, uh, uh, clean the uh, uh, milestone filter. <laughs> that's either a GitHub bug or a feature. Yeah, I'm not sure which it is. I was like, yay, no issues. Uh, I was like, that's cool. But let's mention that. Um, yeah, I, I got uh, I got. Uh, Two weeks ago, I got uh, two open issues only, and uh, they were different than the two that I have right now. And yeah, I was really happy, and it was before a conference, a WooCamp, a JRubyConf AU. Uh, and during the conference, I, I don't know, I handle a lot of tickets. It's like some months I got over 100 of tickets handled per month. Wow. So, yeah. And Must be a, a, lot, a lot of pressure, I guess, just kind of having to potentially wake up the next morning. Like, you go to bed the night before pretty happy, and then you, you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you're like, oh, what happened? You know? Yes. So, so, it, 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 it so you mentioned, um, I guess I mentioned this actually earlier in the show, that uh, that you're the release manager of RVM at Engineer. Yes. So back when you very first started with RVM, kind of serendipitously was able to step away from your current job, take on responsibilities RVM. We talked about uh, the details around that, but now you're, um, when you kind of stepped in to be the full maintainer of it, was around the same time you started at Engineer too, right? Uh, so it was like I, I work on it uh, just as a maintainer for uh, two or three months, and then uh, I got uh, half-time uh, as release man- manager for RVM, but it was only half time, and only year after, or one and a half year after, 
I got the the offer to get full time on RVM. And so, what is it? Uh, you know, I guess what is Engineard's play here? I mean, obviously, we understand what Engineard is and the importance that they've played in the Ruby community over the years. Um, but what's what uh, what's it like? I guess being at Engineard and what does your role mean at Engineard, being the release manager for RVM? So. I don't have a lot of contact with Engineard. Uh, I get I get to the team meetings with Wayne and his team, uh, but uh, I don't do much work for Engineard. I do mostly, I do all the time uh, RVM, and uh, only sometimes I get uh, support questions for RVM products, and I work maybe two months part time on the small small project to integrate. Uh, RVM with one of the clients, but uh, in the end, uh, I do most of the things uh, like I did before. So I, I take care. I take care mostly of making sure that release is uh, working properly. So I check all the tickets and make sure the version released will be stable. That's that's the thing that I was contacted by Engineer. Hey, we got some bugs. Uh, you, uh, Wayne was not not uh, not having much time at this point, and uh, I was the only other maintainer, that, active maintainer at the time. Uh, so I was contacted by engineer because uh, users got bugs, and because of the bugs with RVM, they were locked and they couldn't continue work. So they they couldn't deploy applications to engineer. So if they couldn't deploy, they couldn't pay. Gotcha. So. So engineer uh, needed uh, somebody to provide uh, working RVM so the clients con- can continue deploying applications and do do their real work instead of fighting bugs. Yeah, that's, bugs. that's pretty neat the way that uh, that works out, though, that they have such need for RVM that they're capable and willing to support open source in a way where you know, not only do me and Jared and the rest of the listeners listen to this show get to enjoy the benefits of, of your work on RVM and the other contributors to, to that effort, but at the same time, you're full-time employed by Engineer to manage, essentially, the development of RVM. How much, uh, can you talk a bit about how much, um, I, I guess, feedback you get from the deploy teams or the support teams at Engineer and how that feeds back into uh, making RVM better by you know, identifying uh, different issues that might come up that otherwise may never be really found unless you're kind of in an enterprise scenario and you have to really support a large-scale application with uh, with Ruby is managed by RVM. So, yeah, so so it's... Uh, the, the fun part is that Engineer itself doesn't use RVM internally. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, and <laughs> something ago, like, I don't know, half year ago, maybe a bit longer, I was helping with... Uh, uh, one of the managed clients to get RVM working because they wanted uh, the switching part automatic, uh, not not to do everything manually. They wanted just to say we are, we are switching Ruby RVM switch Ruby and ready, not to ask the staff, hey switch a Ruby for us, make the application working, move everything, and they wanted to make that uh, thing automated with RVM, and uh, it's there. And uh, I'm helping with that application, but uh, that so far it's just one application. Ah. So not a lot of uh, not a lot of it, feedback it, then from the support team. Yeah, not not a lot. But, but it's it's the application is quite big. They are one of the biggest customers, and uh, I don't get any questions uh, because everything is working. It works. Well, you were, you were going to say something, yeah. Jared. I was going to say that the, the engine yard employs you full time to work on RVM, and they largely just leave you alone. Is that what you're saying? Because that'd be awesome. Yeah, mostly, mostly, mostly. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's uh, you you would say it's really great situation to be in because you you get paid and you don't have to answer before anybody. And it's not true because I answer uh, before the whole community, and when I uh, do something wrong. I get like in one one hour I get uh, tickets, uh, Stack Overflow questions, and so, uh, very often somebody in five minutes somebody logs into it and complains, "Hey, this is broken." 
Yeah, I'm not so saying there's no pressure on you. I'm saying that it's awesome that you get to work on that, which you are already doing in your free time, like your passion, the thing you're passionate about. Now you get to work on that, you know, and uh, yes. Like yeah. it's kind of the open source it, on, dream. It's, it's, it's really great. But <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, it's like it takes all your free time. It's, it's really hard uh, to, to find some time for something for something else i i needed really to learn from beginning to how to uh take my free time to to just have some sports to spend some time mm. with kids it's not uh nothing like you get in, in real job like eight hours and you go because something always happens and it's not like you do it in eight hours and you quit uh you, you get uh, questions you get uh, support issues all the time, all the day, because everybody around the globe uses RVM. So you get the, you need to to do the support almost twenty four seven. Yeah, it seems like yeah, fair. Seems like a nice lifestyle job too, Jerry, doesn't it? I mean, like to to be yeah. employed full time and and hack on open source code and kind of improve the lives of. At the same time, though, be the be the main uh, burden bearer if that's uh, if that's the case um, mm-hmm. to have to deal with the fact that but but like like you've said michael time and time again that it works right yes so uh, i i think two <laughs> yeah, years maybe not two, two, two years ago when i uh, started contributing it was like there was a lot of job a lot a lot job of uh, supporting people and mm-hmm. uh, at every issue i i got some small ideas how to improve things how to make uh, the less support so I added warnings, automation, and things like uh, autolips, which was added half year ago. Uh, the, all the small things, all the small messages make uh, everything working smooth. So uh, I stopped getting like 10 requests daily why Bundler doesn't work. Because right now RVM comes uh, with RubyGems Bundler, which integrates Bundler really with RubyGems. That's the missing point of integration. And... Uh, I was. It was really hard to get it working because uh, Ruby James didn't want that integration. Bundler was afraid that it would break things, and I still hear from some sources that's really bad thing. But there are over two millions downloads for the gem, and everybody is happy. And uh, uh, immediately when the uh, support for Ruby James Bundler was introduced in RVM. The amount of uh, issues with with not bundler not working dropped from ten daily to zero. Mm, wow. Well, just to give you some props, I mean, I've been an RVM user daily since I don't remember how far back years, <laughs> and um, I would say it's stabilized to a point where I barely have to think about it anymore. And I'm always, you know, RVM gets stable whenever there's new. Ruby's out there, and everything so far for me, at least, has been very smooth, especially in the last year. So you're doing you're doing a good job, man. Yeah, thank you. And just to kind of key off that one last point there too is that Ruby Gems Bundler was merged into Bundler One Three, right? Uh, it was planned, but uh, finally, I was not able to do this. Oh, I see. So it's still a, a, an independent gem by itself, then. Yes, it's still independent gem, but uh, RubyGems 2.0 is already doing parts of bundle work, and the plan for RubyGems 2.1 is to take over everything. So to, I'm not sure about the gem JIT uh, gems, but it probably will be a plugin for RubyGems 2.1. So you could uh, uh, quit using Bundler and have all the functionalities in. Ruby Gems and Ruby Gems has already support for for the for the automatic loading of uh, uh, of the binaries with uh, proper environment. So you, that that gem will be then useless if people start switching to just pure Ruby Gems. Yeah, I don't know if we got a chance to really talk about it much, but uh, we're close to being out of time. But do we really talk much about autolibs and what that means? Is that that's what you're kind of keen off of there, right? Yeah, so Autolips, uh, I was I had it planned for a long time, and I was really holding back with uh, implementation because I wanted to make it for RVM two, 
I wanted it to be the, the major difference because it's something really, it, it's planned for something bigger. What, what's implemented right now is just the minimal possible, uh, possible thing to make it working. And for RVM2, it's still a lot of things like integration with RubyGems, which, which is missing. And uh, I was forced to, to get it uh, implemented in RVM1 because of uh, the switch in RubyGems to uh, SSL, uh, HTTPS uh, URL for getting gems because of security. Yeah. And this one requires OpenSSL, and OpenSSL on every system installs in different way. And it was quite easy to get Libyam, which is needed for gems uh, to work, because it's really small library, you can compile it, and it, it works everywhere really w simple. But for OpenSSL, I needed integration with the system, because you can't compile OpenSSL if it's already there. It will be taking more time than uh, compiling Ruby itself. So uh, then I had to uh, implement Autolibs in the minimal version, which is just suitable for the shell coding. It's, in shell, uh, it's it's really a big project to get it working. In, in Ruby, it would, it would be something quite simple. In shell, it was really challenging. Well, I... Uh... I don't know, uh, Jared, if you have any more you wanted to mention before we tail off. We have a couple of common questions we asked, but if, uh, if you got anything else you want to mention, Jared, I'm uh, cool with that too. Well, I was just hoping to nail Michael down on a guaranteed release date for RVM2. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Michael. What you got? Uh, yeah, if, if people stop opening issues for RVM1, mm. then Christmas will be something really possible, ah. but uh, it's not that easy to, to stop getting tickets, because uh, with every handled thing, there happens to be something really small that still needs to be handled, and uh, RVM1 is feature-freezed for already a year, and we still got small things that need to be uh, included, like uh, fusing matching when you want to match uh, one nine any one nine three ruby, and th that that was needed for Travis for uh, full support. And because Travis is right now the biggest customer of RVM, yeah, we, we got that feature implemented. Even we uh, we had feature freeze. Hmm. So no more issues to one zero and two zero becomes a Christmas present. Yes, yes, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, no, no more. No, yeah. <laughs> Cross your fingers. Probably won't have it, but all right. Well, maybe, maybe uh, it might be a chance for someone to maybe uh, step up and help you out, though. So I guess that kind of tells into our one of our common questions, which is, you know, for you, Michael, what is a call to arms, so to speak, for the community, the Ruby community, and I, I guess these other communities that might be stepping up that will eventually begin begin to use RVM as well, Python and others. Uh, what's a call to arms for RVM? How can the community step up and help you out to make uh, our Christmases bright and beautiful with uh, RVM 2.0? Yes, so so the plan is uh, uh, to to get get the issues handled and to stop uh, handling new features. And if if users could help with limiting the amount of issues, if if it's nothing really really big. Uh, just uh, help with documentation and uh, help with uh, handling issues, then that should allow better start for RVM2. What's the best place to go for somebody interested in getting involved? Where should they start? So we got quite good uh, readmes for uh, tests, for documentation and for uh, RVM quite good, it's lacking. And if somebody w wants to help and sees uh, problems with uh, documentation uh, that's not really what should happen, then uh, we got uh, everything on GitHub, uh, fork the documentation pro RVM site, and just improve it. 
Just improve it. That's a good tagline right there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Michael, one thing we like to ask our our guests, um, and feel free to mention whomever uh, means most to you, but who might be a programming hero for you? Uh, it's hard to say. I, I really love the work of Wayne. Yeah, Wayne Seagreen. He, he he did great job with RVM with SM framework, and uh, I'm really missing him in open source. Yes, uh, I guess we mentioned too that Wayne has been on the Change Log before episode. Uh, we used to call it zero dot six dot six, but since we moved to five by five, we started calling them uh, by their real names. So back in the '60s, uh, as we like to say, episode sixty six. Um, you can kind of go back to kind of pick up, you know, Michael, you mentioned, uh, SM framework, uh, Wayne touches on B- BDSM back, back in that day. So it might be a good primer for you to go back and listen. And even, even another friend of the show is, uh, Sam Stevenson's. We mentioned RBM on here as well. Uh, episode 64 is, uh, is that show. He touches a little bit on, uh, how Powell supported RVM back in those days. And I think that was back. That episode was, uh, 2011 so it's kind of dated but still neat for a, a primer on some of these topics if you want to go back in time a bit um but you are michael papis on twitter and github that's m papis p-a-p-i-s on twitter so i guess if you want to follow you or kind of uh, reach out to you to say hello or even just to thank you that's uh, where do they they should go right but is there anywhere else that people can kind of find you and kind of keep up with what you're up to Yes, so I'm all the time available on ears, uh, and all the time I mean it. It's uh, 16 hours a day and seven days a week. Uh, I'm available at ears uh, channel uh, hash RVM. Uh, you can find me there. You can talk to me, and I help everybody as long as it's Ruby and RVM related. Gotcha. And we definitely want to. Uh, thank our sponsor for the show uh, for supporting the show App Sketchbook. You can use the code Dan sent me. Go to AppSketchbook.com. Save five bucks. Uh, neat. I actually use this myself. Those are really neat. Whenever I sketch iPhone or iPad stuff, I'm always using that. Actually, I, I even used it whenever I was working on the responsive version of the uh, Change Law Weekly's Change Design. So it's kind of neat to map that out, but. Michael, I want to thank you for joining us on this show today. Jared, for you being the co-host. And Andrew, who is missed today because he's not feeling so well. He had uh, some sinus snafu, but he did tee up this conversation with Michael and the update on RVM. So thanks to you, Michael, Andrew, and for you, the listeners, for for listening. So let's uh, take this moment and say goodbye. See ya. Goodbye, everybody. And thanks for having me. (laughs) 